For thousands of years, the legend of the Trojan War inspired songs, poetry, and stories. For 3,000 years, we believed it was a simple mythological quarrel between the gods acted out upon humanity. The story goes, Hera, Athena, and Aphrodite, locked in a never-ending beauty competition, sprung themselves upon a young human prince, Paris, and asked him to choose the fairest of them all. Paris chose Aphrodite after she bribed him by offering him the most beautiful woman in the world in exchange for his affirmation. Gross. As a result, Helen, queen of Sparta, was kidnapped and forced to marry Paris and live in Troy. The king of Sparta was not pleased with his wife's displacement and began a decade-long war to bring her home. Athena, goddess of strategy, was unimpressed with Aphrodite's trick, so she sided with the Spartans and the other Greek countries, creating the Trojan horse ploy of legend. When the Trojans brought the horse into the city and began drinking and celebrating their victory, the Spartans spilled from the horse and slaughtered every last Trojan warrior, burning down the city and saving Helen of Troy, restoring her as Helen of Sparta. For millennia, we have believed this legend to be just that, a legend. You see, the Trojan War took place before Greek became a written language and almost 400 years before Homer began documenting both history and religion, and the lines in his writing between fact and fiction are blurred. So, we thought the Trojan War was a religious myth, an enforcement of the power of Greek culture and countries. In 1863, a German archaeologist began to study Troy as if maybe, just maybe, it was a real ancient city, located in present-day Turkey and previously lost to history. He started to excavate the area. Excavators found an old, old city which mysteriously burned to the ground at the same time as the estimated end of the Trojan War. Over the course of years and additional discoveries, history and myth have been rewritten, and we know now that the Trojan War did, in fact, occur in some form. Hello, I'm Hannah Harper, and you're listening to Of Witches and Women, and welcome to our first full-length season. Of Witches and Women is a bi-weekly podcast where we explore the lives of powerful women, both historical and mythological, to better understand their lives and impact. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or even YouTube, and if you do social media, follow Of Witches and Women on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We also have a great website, of witchesandwomen.com, where we have lots of salty merchandise and the Grimoire Gallery, our internet gallery dedicated to art about women and the occult. The gallery is curated each season to go along with our theme, so check out the amazing Greek goddess interpretations and more on there right now. All the art in the Grimoire Gallery is created by current working artists, and you can link to their sites directly from the gallery. We've also got a page called the Lamia Library, which is where the episodes, show notes, and sources will be posted. Since I'm sure you don't get enough emails, subscribe to our newsletter while you're on the website, The Oracle. The bi-weekly Oracle will be my winter solstice gift to you and will feature exclusive mini-biographies of the women of ancient Greece that we won't get to cover on the show, 
as well as simple spells and charms to better your days on those Fridays when the podcast isn't released. Sign up so you don't miss out on our first newsletter coming to you this December. We'll start this podcast off with a little intro on me. I'm a bipolar, bisexual blonde with a penchant for dyeing my hair a multitude of unnatural colors. I'm pledged to House Targaryen, born of fire and blood, yes, even after that series finale. My life is a constant balancing act between comatose and erratic, but I work hard, I take my medicines, do my therapy, and keep my mind healthy the way a personal trainer hones their body. I grew up all over the U.S., spent my senior year of high school in the Middle East, came back to the States, majored in filmmaking, studied abroad in London, had my passport stolen, and currently live in Florida with my hubby. I am incredibly anxious about this podcast failing or sucking, and it's taken me well over a year to overcome my anxiety and take enough Adderall to successfully pull this all together. I've been putting off the idea for a long time and trying to get other people on board so I won't have to be vulnerable and accountable all by myself to myself. However, the time has come for me to step up and do some very scary growing, learning, and sucking. I'm super passionate about the subject material, namely kick-ass women, witches, and creatures of the occult, and I want to study them and I want to share what I learn with all of you. I've been inspired by so many amazing women in my life. This podcast is a part of my journey to learn and be inspired by some more incredible women. So subscribe, and I promise to talk less about me next time and more about the complex women and witches of history and mythology. I'll be telling their stories and musing about the meaning of the stories, how people of the time felt, and how we can use or interpret their stories today. What I've taken away from my life experiences and the examples of other amazing women is that I need to step up or lean in or take up space or whatever you want to call it. But more than just doing this posturing in public, it's an internal thing. I also need to push myself on a personal psychological level to value and accept myself as a fierce and strong woman. So I invite all you witches and listeners to be fierce. Not just act fierce, but work hand-in-hand with your inner lioness, like Beyonce. Stay fierce is my new mantra, and I invite anyone who feels they need those words in their life to adopt them as well. As every witch knows, words have power, and it's important that we use them to tell ourselves and others positive, valuable things. Being fierce and being true to who you are is important, but for me it's so, so very difficult, which is part of the reason I'm studying these witches and women and learning from their legends and stories. Some of these stories and myths are going to sound pretty frivolous and prey on stereotypes, but upon analysis, most are full of meaning and ferocity. This season, our topic is women of ancient and middle Greek mythology and history. Yes! I know mythologically this is a bit of a softball since so much lore exists and has been built upon and retold over the years, but it's still an absolutely fascinating study of women and power. And I'm guessing most of the stories you've read and seen about ancient Greece focused on the men. Together, we're going to learn all about the major goddesses, gorgons, witches, damsels, and real-life badass Greek women. 
In today's episode, we're dipping our toes into Greek history with a brief timeline of ancient Greece and a retelling of the basic Greek mythological origin story. We'll also tap into Roman mythology occasionally on the podcast since they're incredibly similar, and Rome basically came in and swept all of Greek mythology into its culture bag and said, this is mine now. Occasionally there will be a goddess or story retold in more detail in Roman lore, but the gist will be the same, so we'll use what we can from both to piece together the lives of some amazing witches and women. So, let's dive into ancient Greece, both real and mythological. About 4,000 years ago, the first settlers that we know of arrived in ancient Greece. The temperate, fertile Mediterranean climate made it the perfect place to begin building one of the greatest civilizations Earth has ever seen. Around 1600 BCE, the Mycenaean people inhabited Greece during the Bronze Age. They were the first people we know of to speak Greek and were influenced by the earlier Minoan civilization in the area. We don't know too much about Mycenaean religion except that they practiced animal sacrifice and rituals. They also built monumental grave sites and buried precious objects with their dead, much like their Egyptian neighbors to the south. The thriving Bronze Age of the Mycenaean people mysteriously collapsed around 1200 BCE. Next came the Trojan War, a relatively new part of our retelling of Greek history, but a long-loved Greek myth. About 100 years after the Mycenaean Greek triumph over Troy, Dorian invaders conquered the Mycenaeans in about 1100 BCE, and in 850 the Greek alphabet was invented and put into practice. From about 800 to 300 BCE is when most of the exciting stuff that we learn about in school happened in Greece. Around 800, Homer began his epic poems, and it's thanks to Homer and the beginning of the alphabet that we have both the history and the rich mythology of ancient Greece and the surrounding areas. After Homer, we had the first Olympic Games, several wars, and the rise of the aristocracy in Greece. In 600 BCE, money was introduced, and about 100 years later, democracy was introduced in Athens. More wars and philosophers followed, and in 380, Plato established the Academy in Athens. Officially, Greece fell to the Roman Empire in 146 BCE, but the 200 years prior to that were filled with invasions and changes in rulers as Alexander the Great and Persia set their sights on ruling the countries of the Greek region. Some of the women we'll be discussing this season were real and greatly impacted ancient Greece and world history. Others are the goddesses and monsters of ancient Greek religion and culture. It's important to be conscious of the fact that these myths and legends grew out of the need to explain the world and were reflections of personal and cultural ideologies. These ideas morphed over time and so the legends sometimes conflict with each other and they definitely adapted repeatedly over the several thousand years that Greece grew and changed as a region. The origin of Greek mythology begins not with the gods, but with their grandmother. Yes, the Pantheon family tree is incredibly complex, but if we want a basic skeleton, Gaia, the OG, aka Mother Earth, was born out of the endless void of nothingness. Eros, or love, emerged after her. 
Gaios then produced Oranos, or Uranus, the primordial male deity of the sky, and Okeanos, the deity of the water. Along with Gaia and Eros, Chaos also produced Erebus, the darkness of death, and Nyx, the darkness of night. Gaia, the primordial female deity of Earth, bore a generation of titans, primarily with Uranus. These titans were figures of immense power. Unlike later Christian deities, the titans were extremely flawed and fell victim to the classic flaws of the flesh. Uranus, afraid of his children's power, forced all twelve of them to stay in the womb of their mother. But Gaia, physically hurting and not impressed with this nonsense, castrated Uranus with the assistance of her son, Kronos. As Uranus's genitals fell to the earth, they created nymphs, giants, Irenes, and the goddess Aphrodite. Gaia then whispered to Kronos a prophecy that he and his siblings would overthrow their father, and they did. Kronos grew up to be nearly as strong and just as power-hungry as Uranus. He freed his siblings and led them in a successful revolution against their father. In order to ensure that Gaia and Uranus would never be together again, creating more titans and powerful forces, the titan Atlas was forced by Kronos to keep them apart, physically separating the earth and the sky with his body for the rest of eternity. This would be only the first revolution amongst the higher beings. Homer wrote, at the beginning, there was chaos, and he was right, not only in what existed before Earth, but also in what came after. Kronos lived with the same fear as his father. Kronos's wife Rhea also resented Kronos's destruction of their children, and like her mother Gaia before her, Rhea hid her child Zeus, who grew up on the island of Crete, raised by the titaness Metis. Metis also became Zeus's first wife and was a goddess of wisdom, prudence, and deep thought. At Zeus's birth, Rhea instead fed Kronos a rock, which speaks not too well of this deity's intellect. It was Zeus who ultimately freed his five siblings from the belly of their father. Together, the first of the Greek gods overthrew the Titans, throwing Kronos and his allies into Tartarus the deepest, darkest, unending pit in Erebus, the underworld. Zeus, king and god of the sky, married his older sister Hera, and the two of them ruled the gods and humanity. But Zeus had more than just a wandering eye. His affairs with titans, goddesses, nymphs, and human women caused a myriad of problems and drama for the world and for his marriage. Poseidon, ruler of the water, married the titaness Amphitrite, and Hades, the god of the underworld, married Persephone. Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades occasionally vied for power against each other, and fathered many of the heroes of Greek mythology. The brothers were worshipped for providing the balance and stability needed for humanity to prosper, but in the legends, they fought recklessly, which devastated humanity as their fights caused natural disasters, famine, and plague. The three original goddesses of the pantheon, Hera, Demeter, and Hestia, seem to be the real providers of the balance and prosperity enjoyed by humanity. And somehow, peace and prosperity continued much of the time, both on Earth and on Olympus. 
Slowly, other gods were added to the pantheon. Aphrodite, goddess of love, rose from the sea and ascended to Olympus to claim her place among the all-powerful. Athena burst from Zeus's head, the child of an affair with a titan, and became the goddess of war and strategy. Ares, born of Zeus and Hera, became the god of war and violence. Hephaestus, the child of Hera and possibly Zeus, begrudgingly became the god of fire and crafts. Then, of course, we have Hermes, the son of Zeus and the nymph Maia. Maia hid herself and her child from Hera's wrath until the very young and crafty Hermes forced the Pantheon to pay attention to him and accept him as one of their own. Apollo and Artemis, twins and the god and goddess of the sun and moon respectively, were the children of Zeus and the titan Leto. When Dionysus, god of wine, fertility, and madness, arrived on the scene, he forced Hestia out of the twelve pantheon seats, taking the place of the last of the twelve seats of power and judgment in the Greek pantheon. So, where do people and humanity figure into all of this? Well, the titan Prometheus formed the first man of clay. Athena, goddess of wisdom, breathed life into the man, and he became alive. Qualities of safety, speed, warmth, and natural protection had already been given to the other creatures of Earth, so Prometheus gave the man fire. This angered Zeus, who did not like the man and wanted to keep the secret of fire to the gods. After some back and forth shenanigans, Zeus punished Prometheus by chaining the immortal titan to a rock, where vultures would eat his insides each day and they would regenerate each night. Zeus then punished the man by creating the first woman, of course, Pandora. Zeus gave Pandora a sealed pot as a wedding gift, now known as Pandora's box. Zeus, knowing the curiosity of the human mind, commanded Pandora to never open the gift and waited in anticipation for Pandora to cause the downfall of humanity. But that's a story for a different day. The men, women, and children of ancient Greece worshipped the pantheon of gods by building temples and giving sacrifices of food and comfort and prayer. The gods were the explanation for prosperity and devastation, as well as the detritus of the day to day. Goddesses were worshipped for fertility and health, gods for strength and prosperity. And the people of the Greek region did, in fact, prosper. They traded amongst each other and shared a common tongue, religion, and ideologies. Just like the gods they worshipped, the people of ancient Greece sometimes fought amongst themselves, but the countries united as fierce allies against all external enemies, proving an almost as undefeatable force as the gods they prayed to. The Trojan War is a fascinating piece of history. For so long, Western civilization heralded the myth until a few people began to believe it was possible and started the long, seemingly impossible process of uncovering the ancient city of Troy and accepting a new possible reality. That's why I love mythology. People like Helen of Troy or Mulan very well may have existed 
Or perhaps they didn't, but the power of their stories can inspire nations and individuals. I choose to believe in the power of these stories because that power is real, regardless of the story's factuality. Each episode of Of Witches and Women will end with a charm or spell or something fun and magical from history or something that you could use today. Today's magical charm is from history, and it is the apple. Not only did myths and fairy tales of Europe write about the dangers of the apple, even in ancient Greece, the apple was a mystical symbol. In Greece, the apple was a mystical symbol of passionate love. Both apples and pomegranates were used in all sorts of erotic spells. So, to use an apple in the ancient Greek sense, share an apple with someone special today, as they are full of fiber, vitamins, natural sugars, and maybe, just maybe, a little bit of passion. Thank you all for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, please, please, please leave us a magical review so others can find and enjoy the show as well. Feel free to check out our website for mystically amazing merchandise, the beautiful Grimoire Gallery, source materials in the Lamia Library, and to subscribe to The Oracle, our upcoming newsletter. That's a wrap on our very first episode. I'm going to try and live fiercely and study up on the original Fierce Woman for our upcoming episode. So stay fierce, witches, and I'll catch you next time. Of Witches and Women is brought to you by SHH Media, LLC.